Once in a while, I like to be the cheerleader for our musicians. I didn't have to this morning. Dr. Al, thank you. <laughs> Amen is right. I failed to mention a while ago, too, that uh, we were delighted to see the Siegs back. Lady, it's always good to see you when you come back with your children. Uh, spoke to Randy a couple of times while they were traveling and uh, only one minor mishap. Uh, at least that's all I heard of with the vehicle, and that wasn't anything drastic. Uh, but they have traveled how many miles, Randy? Mm. That's no vacation. Just over 5,000 miles on deputation for their ministry at Transworld Radio. Welcome home. Good to see you. If I could, I will go back for just a moment to our musicians. Thank you. Beautiful choir number. Thank you. Thank you. Y'all keep working. You'll be as good as that kid to play the piano. <laughs> if you have your Bible, would you turn with me, please? <clears throat> to Psalm 95. I'll get there just in a few moments. There's one other place we will look before we're through. And if you'll notice in your worship folder this morning, the message says selected passages. The second one that I will look at, and that briefly, is in John 4. So you might want to go ahead and turn there as well. Excuse me. You found your place. Let's go to the Lord and ask His blessings. This is His Word. We need His blessings. Father, thank you for your word. You have given it to us, and as many folks have memorized, it is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And we're living in a dark age. We need the lamp and the light and the truth of the word of God. And I pray that the Spirit of God might be our teacher, taking the things that are in the word of God and giving us illumination to them. Thank you for the opportunity of being here. There are folks on beds of affliction that would love to be in church and cannot. And you've allowed us that sweet, blessed, wonderful privilege. Help us to remember, this is your day. It is not mine. It is not belonging to someone else. This is the Lord's day. And help us to honor Him. We ask it in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen. <clears throat> the wisest man who ever lived, Solomon, said, of the making of books, there is no end. I would like to piggyback on that statement for just a moment and add my expression to it. Of the making of churches, there is no end. I have mentioned before, within 10 minutes of where I'm standing, there are about 75 churches. So, of the making of churches, it seems there is no end. There are beautiful churches. There are small, lovely churches. There are quaint churches. There are teaching churches. There are growing churches. There are busy churches. There are renewal churches. There are denominational churches. There are independent churches. There are New Testament churches. There are fellowship churches. There are charismatic churches. There are evangelical churches. And I've got more on the list, but I'll quit. But there aren't many worshiping churches. Now, by worshiping churches, I don't mean where things get out of control and people are running up and down the aisles, those kinds of things. Nor do I mean places where the air is so thick with incense and there is such a solemnity uh, about the whole atmosphere that anyone who smiles is in danger of church discipline. I'm not talking about those kinds of churches. By worshiping churches, I mean a place I understand from the Scriptures, it means there is a place where there is a balance 
a place where there is a solid message from Scripture, a place where pastor and people look into the Word of God and remember and get a hold of and say, Thus saith the Lord. And that stands. All else can fall. That stands. Thus saith the Lord. A place where beautiful music is a vital part of the service. A worshiping church, I believe, is a place where people gather and recognize that they are there to meet with the living God. And while they are gathered there in a particular place to worship and to meet the living God, they do their very best to see that their thoughts are, in, are focused entirely on Him. Now, let me be personal for a minute. What are you thinking about right now? Is He going to be three for lunch? I had a problem in the office last week. I, I didn't get it straightened out. I'm worried about that. Is that what you're thinking about this morning? I've got a big deal coming up this week. Is that what you're thinking about? Someone in my family is not feeling well. I don't know what's wrong. All kinds of things the enemy of souls would bring to our attention right now. But a worshiping church is a place where people gather to meet the living God and where as much as in them is and can be, they gather themselves and their thoughts and see that they are entirely focused upon God. Places where you can truly worship the King all glorious above and you can sing joyfully His power and His love. Places where you can sing unashamedly our shield and defender, the ancient of days, pavilioned in splendor and girded with praise. Places where we can relive John Wesley, or Wesley's words uh, of the 18th century and actually be lost in wonder, love, and praise. Churches where those things take place are worshiping churches. My question is, where are they today? A pastor from mid-50s, late-60s in Chicago a man who pastored a Christian and Missionary Alliance church and a man who is one of the most stimulating authors that you could ever read, a man by the name of A.W. Tozer, said, and I have chosen that as part of my title this morning, worship is the missing jewel of the evangelical church. Now he penned those words. Are you ready for this? He penned those words in 1961. But the jewel of the church is still largely, not exclusively, not totally, but it is still largely missing. And frankly, that in itself, I find amazing. For you see, we live in a world where men have discovered ancient tombs through the spade of the archaeologists. And now we can see the wealth of Tutankhamun and Ramses. We live in a day where we can find a great ship that has been buried two miles deep in the North Atlantic since 1812. Some parts of that have been raised and there's talk and has been talk for years about raising the Titanic. We live in a day when microbiologists and other scientists can find the very smallest of particles and examine them. And yet in spite of all the things that can be found, worshiping churches are hard to find. Churches that, that, that have the attention focused on the living God and are interested in actually worshiping Him. And part of worship is coming in contact with God. 
We can find a ton of churches today where they will help you become interested in yourself. Where personally, and this is an opinion, and I try to label stuff that I say in the pulpit that's an opinion. I try to label that. But personally, I find that the music is directed to the individual and not to God. We don't gather to worship ourselves. We gather to worship God. To come into contact with Him. I would like to make my feeble effort through the rediscovery of the missing jewel of the evangelical church. Past three Sundays, we talked about Isaiah. This morning, I want to come to Psalms and then to the Gospel of John for just a moment. And I think we need to begin by a definition. What do we mean by worship? If I were to start with Hal Johnson back there and pass out a sheet of paper down this side, up this side, and read it and ask one question, what is worship? I wonder what kind of answers we'd get. I mean, sincerely, I wonder what kind of answers we get. I'm sure we've got a number of good answers, but I wonder. How do we define worship? Well, let me start, take a shot at it anyway, okay? The old English word, don't go to sleep on me. Some of this comes out of the dictionary, okay? The old English word worship comes from an old, older Anglo-Saxon word, we orth screep. Doesn't that bless you? We orth screep. What in the world does that mean? You gotta define that. Well, we orth is a word that means worth or honorable. Screep means ship. We orth screep developed and morphed into worth-ship. And the word worth-ship developed into our word worship. That's where the word comes from. It means to attribute worth to an object or to a person. Worship, to attribute worth to an object or a person. So to worship God is to ascribe to Him the supreme glory, the supreme worth to which He alone is worthy. To ascribe to Him, to ascribe to God the supreme worth to which He alone is worthy. Now, this definition I want to grant to you up front is taken from the Word itself. Alright? For if we look through the pages of Scripture, the Bible nowhere gives us a definition of worship. You will not find a verse of Scripture anywhere in the Bible that says, worship is. And yet the primary words that are used in the Bible for worship, that are translated worship, support the definition that comes from the word itself. Ascribing worth to someone, to our God. In addition to this primary word, the New Testament uses several words. Uh, One of the primary ones means bowing in reverence or submission to. One of the primary New Testament words means bowing in reverence and submission to. That is a form of ascribing worth to somebody. If you bow in reverence or submission to them, you are ascribing worth to them. Another word that's used in the New Testament that is translated worship stresses a feeling or a sense of awe. A sense of awe. And the last word used in the New Testament, signifies rendering service. Rendering service to another. So, I have defined worship as ascribing to the Lord the supreme worth to which He alone is worthy. And we have seen this definition is supported 
by the words that are used in the New Testament. Well, all well and good so far. Okay? I mean, I think that what I have given you is a reasonable definition. Started with a word, extrapolated. But the big question now is, how? How can we ascribe to the Lord that supreme word to which He alone is worthy? How do we do that? There are some descriptive texts which I think are helpful. And the list is not exhaustive at all. But these are ones that I have chosen. And if you have your Bible open to Psalm 95, tucked away in the hymnal of our Bible, that is the book of Psalms, there is a wonderful invitation and description that is given. Look at Psalm 95, verses 1 and 2. Oh, come let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before His presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to Him with psalms. Now, I have in the margin of my Bible, I drew a line under verse 2 and wrote out the question, why? Why do that? You know, there's nothing wrong when you study your Bible to ask questions in your Bible. Okay? Sometimes we can answer them, sometimes we can't. But I ask the question, why? Why should I do that? Well, you know, more often than not, I find that the Bible answers its own questions. I ask why at the end of verse 2. Verse 3 tells me, for, causal, reason, for the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods, in whose hands are the depths of the earth. The peaks of the mountains are also, are His also. The sea is His, for he, it is He who made it. It was He who made it, and His hands formed the dry land. Someone like that, someone that great is worthy of worship, of supreme worship. Giving to them the, that, that, that value, that worth that no one else is due, that he alone is due. Those are reasons for doing that. There are some reasons for worship right there. Verses three, four, and five. Look at them again. Verse four, the depths of the earth are in his hands. The mountains and the peaks are his. The dry land is his. The sea is his. And just thinking about that last one, the sea is his. Many of you in this room, have taken a cruise. You have seen a great ship dock. Enormous. Many of them hold 3,000 people. And if you haven't been on one, no doubt uh, almost all have seen one of the great cruise ships. Picture of one at dock. Gigantic. But you know what? You get on that ship and you walk around and you think, well, I'll just Take a little stroll down to the other end. Uh Uh-uh. You'll be back in a couple of hours with the stops that you would make. So regardless of their size, I understand, and my experience was, when you leave port and you get outside of land, that ship gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And the ocean, to me, got bigger and bigger and bigger. Some of you had that experience. I can tell you're smiling. And yet the psalmist said, if I dwell in the remotest parts of the sea, listen, even there thy hand will lead me and thy right hand will lay hold of me. Now how's that? Because he made it. He made it. Therefore, Psalm 95 verse 6, come let us worship. There's our word. Come let us worship. And there's a second word that's used in the New Testament. Let us bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. 
God help us. If Wake Chapel ever does get around to building another sanctuary, I, I, don't, I don't think it'll be in my lifetime, but if they ever do, I do hope that some of you will still be here and will say, we've got to put kneeling benches in, behind the pews in front of us. The church of God needs to kneel. We are proud. Look at our stuff. Look at what we're doing. We need to get down on our knees. The Word of God says that. That's not the pastor with some foggy notion of something that he would like. There are a few things which humble a man like kneeling. Am I right? Part of worship, the psalmist said, let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. Verse 7. I want to ask why again at the end of verse 6. For He is our God and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. How's that for a reason to kneel before Him? You know, my friends, I want to say this. Worship is something that we do. Now, you're going to back up with me there in a minute. Right now, you're probably saying, ah, that's okay, preacher. You're liable to back up in a minute. Worship is something that we do. Worship is not a spectator sport. Worship is not a spectator sport. There were three stadiums within an hour of where we are yesterday afternoon that in spite of rain, on some of them, uh, there's a great crowd of people there. Thousands and thousands of people spectating, watching a football game. And today I'm sure all of them are happy because their team's won. And you'll probably spectate again. And that's fine. That's fine. Years ago, years ago, I had a favorite coach. I didn't particularly care about the school, but uh, he was a winning coach. He was a gentleman. His name was Bud Wilkinson. He coached at Oklahoma many years ago. Probably some of you never even heard of Once Bud Wilkinson described football as 22 men on the field in desperate need of rest and 50,000 people in the stands in desperate need of exercise. Some of us view church that way. I spectate and those on the platform do their thing. But I spectate. What worship is for a lot of folks is coming to church and thank God that you do. Okay? I would want you not to come. But what worship is for a lot of folks is we come to church, we walk into the sanctuary, we pick out a pew that is a favorite of ours perhaps, and we settle in. And then we just watch what goes on up front. And we leave and we say, I was in worship this morning. When all in the world it was done was you spectated. My dear friend, I believe this with all of my heart. Do you know how many people are in the audience of this church this morning? Some of you do. You've heard me say it before. Do you know how many people are in the audience this morning? One. That's God. God is observing our worship. One. Worship is something that we do. All of us in this building are supposed to be worshipers. Are you worshiping? Are you giving now to the Lord the glory and the, 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 the worth to which He alone is worthy? Is that what you're doing right now? Or are you spectating? Before leaving Psalm 95, I want to say a word or two about music. I am a rather eclectic person when it comes to what I listen to on my own. Um, 
If you get in my car sometime, you're liable to hear Waylon and Willie. Y'all don't know who that is, do you? Fess up. You do too. That's country music. I enjoy bluegrass music. You know, banjo's wonderful. When I retire, I think I'm going to take up playing a banjo. I love it. I love great choirs. I love huge organs. I've got uh, several tapes that I enjoy very much of people that Miss Emily would immediately recognize. Virgil Fox, for one, and some others who are terrific at a five or six manual organ. I enjoy that music. There are a few things, not all of which I've mentioned would be appropriate in a worship service, by the way. I'm not saying that. Uh, but a few things highlight the beauty of worship, like good music. Music is one of God's greatest gifts to man. The longest book in our Bible is the songbook of the ancient Hebrew people. What we have in 150 Psalms, they sang. That was their hymn book. And that is our Psalms. May I say to you, music is not a preliminary. I heard that for so many years of my life. I've heard preachers, so many preachers say it. Worship is a preliminary. And they'll tell the, the music pastor, and I've been in that place too. Uh, hurry up and get to the music so I can preach. David Brown, have I ever said that to you? Never. I don't believe it. Music is not a film. Music is not something that we do until we get to do something else. We worship when we sing. We worship when we listen to music that focuses our attention upon God. See, that's what it's all about, to focus our attention upon God. We worship when we sing, and we worship when we listen to music that focuses our attention upon God. We worship when we sing hymns that express biblical truth. Joyful singing done enthusiastically is worship. Turn back one page in your Bible, Psalm 92. Psalm 92. It is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to Thy name, O Most High, to declare Thy loving kindness in the morning and Thy faithfulness at night. And I presume since he's been talking about singing, that when he comes to verse 2 to declare loving kindness in the morning, he's talking about music. And Thy faithfulness at night. I take it he's talking about music again. And with a, sten, with a ten-string lute, and with a harp, with resounding music on the lyre. I don't know, folks. Uh, uh, some of you may want to quibble with me about the word resounding. To me, that means full. Resounding. I suppose there is a place for what I call mousy music. You know, funereal. I suppose there's a place for that. I'm not saying there's not, but it doesn't sound like resounding music to me. When we don't sing, regardless of vocal abilities. When we don't sing, we don't worship. That's missing an opportunity for worship. Thank God I see a, a lot of parents with children in our services and they are holding a hymn book and they're teaching them to sing. They're teaching them to worship. Thank God for you parents. When we sing half-heartedly, I believe our worship is half-hearted. Alright, there's one other passage that helps us to understand at least it helps me to understand worship. John 4.24. If you have your Bible, turn there with me, please. Just one very brief verse. Two words in that verse is all I want to do. Verse 23 and 24 of John 4. John 4. The Gospel of John, chapter 4. 
verses 23 and 24. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people the Father seeks to be worshipers. Did you know God's seeking worshipers? That's what it says, isn't it? God is seeking worshipers. He's not looking for spectators. He's looking for worshipers. Verse 24. God is a spirit. Those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. I want to take that word truth first. You know, again, I said a while ago, it's good to ask questions. And a question I would ask here is, what is truth? What is truth? Well, Jesus answered the question for us. We won't turn over and look at it right now. But Jesus answered the question of what is truth. He said in John 17 to His Father, Thy word is truth. Thy word is truth. If we are to worship in truth, which the Scripture says, and if the Word of God is truth, which the Scripture says, then we must worship according to and out of our understanding of the Word of God. We must worship according to and out of our understanding of the Word of God. You know, the reason that we insist here at Wake Chapel on the prominence of the Bible in our worship services is because with the Bible, we don't know who to worship. Without the Bible, we don't know how to worship. And without the Bible, we don't know why to worship. So we don't know who, we don't know how, and we don't know why to worship if you remove the Bible. There's another important expression in John 4 that's crucial. And that is, you'll notice, Jesus says we must worship in spirit. Now what does that mean? Well, if you'll notice... The word spirit there is written with a small s. Not talking about God the Holy Spirit there. This is important. It sets direction for us. Worship begins internally and flows from the inside out. May I say that again? Worship, according to the Scripture, begins internally and flows from the inside out. True worship begins internally when our hearts are consumed with God and with His grace to man. That's when worship begins, and that's where it begins. To me, this is important. Listen carefully. Worship does not begin, okay? Now, I'm not saying it doesn't take place in, but you listen to me and be careful with me, if you will. I'm saying worship does not begin with the hearing of organ music. Worship does not begin by looking through stained glass windows. Worship does not begin with lighting candles. Worship does not begin with hearing a choir. It does not begin with carrying a Bible. It doesn't begin with praying a prayer. Worship begins internally and flows out. And these things that I have mentioned are part of and included in worship, but that's not where it begins. I believe that uh, hearing organ music and listening to it, I've already said, you know, when we listen to music which reaffirms biblical truth, that's worship. When we sing that kind of music, that reaffirms biblical worship. Those are functions in in which worship may occur. But I'm emphasizing to the best of my ability, worship begins inside. And there is no amount of atmosphere that will create worship. You can have atmosphere to who laid the rail. It will not create worship. Worship begins in here. When I am consumed with God and with His grace to man, and when I have a deep abiding desire 
to give to him the worth that he alone is worthy of. May I also say this? I believe, this, this poor preacher believes that worship begins on Saturday night. And my wife will tell you from the first time, first few times she heard me preach, I've said things like this. One reason we don't worship on Sunday morning is because we need to plant the seeds of worship on Saturday night. No verbal responses, but what did you do last night that contributed to worship? What did you do last night that contributed to getting your heart fully occupied with God and with His grace to man? The seeds of worship are sown on Saturday night. And worship begins in here. It includes a lot of things that are outside, but it begins in here. I want to close with uh, five things. And I'll just mention them. Five things which happen when we worship. Number one, very simply, worship magnifies and pleases God. That's number one. Worship magnifies and pleases God. Number two, Worship enlarges our horizons. You remember Isaiah? And years before all he'd sing was Uzziah on the throne. He got involved with, after Isaiah's death, he got involved with worship. He saw the Lord. That's where worship begins. And number two I'm saying is worship enlarges our horizons. I see beyond my little world. Number three, worship eclipses our fears. You know, Job lost it all. You name it, he had it. And you name it, and he lost it. And if you go back to the book of Job and read, after Job lost it all, the text of the Word of God says that he fell on his face on the ground and worshiped. Worship eclipses our fears. Number four, worship changes our perspective. Worship changes our perspective. You know, your attitude on Friday can be one thing. Have you ever left the office on Friday and your attitude, just to put it in a rather crass fashion, your attitude just smelled bad? You didn't like whatever happened. It didn't go well. And you have to have said, if you were asked, my attitude stinks Friday afternoon. You go back on Monday morning and it can be different. It can be totally different. Why? Because you sandwiched Sunday in there. You prepared your heart for worship on Saturday. You went to the Lord's house on Sunday and you worshiped. And it changes our perspective. What was there Friday still there, but attitude and perspective is different. Number five, worship refreshes our spirit because we've been with God. Worship refreshes our spirit. Would you bow your head with me, please? Dear friends, to worship, you have to have a Savior. And He has to be the central figure of your life. If you've never met Jesus, may I have the privilege of introducing you to Him without your even knowing it. He died for you. And He's coming back. He came back from the dead. And He's coming back for us. By coming and trusting Jesus Christ,
Christ as your personal Savior, by receiving Him, you can have eternal life. And that makes worship possible. Our Father, I pray You would make of us a worshiping people. Help us to do what it takes to sow worship seeds on Saturday night and to come Sunday morning not to be spectators, but to be worshipers. Give to us moments in what we refer to as a worship service. Give us moments of contact with You. Thank You for meeting with us and being in our presence. We ask these favors in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen. As David has already indicated, our hymn of appeal is to God be the glory, great things He hath done. To God be the glory, great things He hath done. Number 66 in your hymnal. If you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you've spoken with the pastor, you'd like to become a member of Wake Chapel Church, we invite you to come. I'll meet you here. If you're in this place this morning, hear me well. Don't close up. Your stuff will be there. You've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You'll never have a better day than today. Why delay? He died for you. He loves you. He loves you as no one you have ever known has loved you before. Why don't you trust Jesus? Why don't you come to Him and just say, Lord, thank You for dying for me. I don't want to continue in this life that I'm living. A life filled with frustration. A life with great ups and great downs. But I want to come and be in Your family. Right now, I want to trust You as my Savior. May I say to you, you don't have a good reason for not doing that other than the enemy of souls is keeping you glued to your seat. If the Savior is speaking to your heart and you don't come, it's only because the devil's got your riches glued to your seat. Why don't you trust Jesus today? To God be the glory. Great things He hath done. Would you stand with us, please? Thank you for coming to worship this morning. Thank you for being in the Lord's house. May God go with you and encourage you and bless your day. That's my thought for everyone who's here. Home folks, visitors alike. One other note to visitors. You are guests this morning. When you exit to my left, there will be either a deacon or an usher there. And the church has prepared a little gift that we want to give to you just as a token of our appreciation for your coming. Nothing required from you. Just take it and God bless you. It may well be that we have someone in this room this morning who doesn't have a Bible of, of your own. Again, on my left as you exit, if you do not have a Bible and you would like to have one, please allow us the sweet privilege of giving you one. Again, nothing asked. Just take it, read it, and be blessed by it. So those offers to our guests and to anyone else who might be here this morning. Our deacon today is Eric LaVar. Eric is chairman of our board deacons. He comes to pray to home folks. You recall that during the time I welcomed guests, I told them if they had on a little tag that our home folks would want to greet them in the Savior's name. Please look around. We do have guests with us this morning. Don't let them leave without feeling a genuine Wake Chapel welcome. We're glad that they're here. And all of us mean that. But don't be in that big a hurry. 
look around for visitor's tags and greet them. And listen to me. Uh, you know, Wake Chapel doesn't have any charter members. I mean, if we do, I haven't met them. 1856 is when church started, so I don't think we've got any charter members. But if you greet somebody that happens to be a lifetime member, that's all right. You know what that means? It means they haven't been here in a while. <laughs> look around. Greet one another before you leave. Somebody needs a word from you. I don't know who it is. Somebody needs a word of encouragement from you. And you're the only one that can give it. Take a moment and do that. Eric, pray for us, would you please? Will you join me in prayer? Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the privilege to come before you. We don't even have the right to kneel down in silence before you, yet you allow us to stand and speak. We thank you for all the opportunities you've given us, us as a country, the freedoms that we have. Forgive us, Lord, of the distractions in our lives that we let get in the way of worship. There are people around this world that would give anything for the freedom to be able to mention your name, and we have that. Help us not take that for granted. Lord, we thank you for people that spread the gospel to those countries who do not yet know you, to people who do not yet know you. We thank you for our missionaries. We thank you especially, Lord, for James and Lauren Peavy, for being willing to travel on the other side of the world to spread your word and your glory. Lord, I know I make this mistake. I see English-speaking cultures that have all the technology that we do here, and I mistakenly think that they are a group of believers who are saved. But down there in Australia, Lord, they are not. Help get the word down there to them and spread your glory. God, help us to give you the glory this week for all the great things you have done. In Jesus Christ's holy name we pray. Amen.